Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Matt Hoss Talks to People He Likes. This episode is with the amazing Athena Copeleno, and it's a really great episode. Just to let you know, we recorded this episode at the start of the corona outbreak, so several of the references have slightly gone out of date, but the content and the time frame are still relevant and really interesting. We recorded this episode over the phone, so I hope you enjoy. If you like what I do, do share the podcast and follow me at Matt Hoss Comedy. Check out all the other great content that I do. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Mad Hoss talks to people he likes. Mad Hoss talks to people he likes. Mad Hoss talks to people he likes. And today, he's talking to you. Yeah. Mad Hoss is doing this podcast. Mad Hoss is bringing great guests. And I'll go around the world and hear what people say. Well, welcome to the podcast, uh, and it's a pleasure to have you, Athena. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's a, it's a beautiful day. The weather's great. You know what? Like, because uh, we're doing this, uh, we're doing this recording um, whilst in lockdown as well, uh, and it's um, oh, every day so far has been really lovely. Like, it's been like picturesque, and it's quite annoying just to kind of sit indoors watching it. It's well, you can go in the garden, and I've been going to the park um, with the little ones, so I've been getting out. Um, so you can you can enjoy it. You just can't be anywhere near anyone. That's <laughs> Which is really my my version of enjoyment. Really, I just uh, just as far away as possible from people. That's perfect. But yeah, absolutely, I don't have a problem with people in the supermarket staying the hell away from me. Um, <laughs> and like now, it's so great because uh, I went um, a few days ago when you could still get into the supermarket without it. Like because now they've got bouncers at that supermarket. Have you been? Uh, I haven't actually because I've been trying to avoid it. Um, trying to not do. Um, I've got quite a full, like, uh, with, uh, before the, uh, the outbreak, I had quite full, uh, like, cupboards, so we're, we're quite okay for now, and we're just trying to eat stuff up. So I haven't been, but I've heard people say there's bouncers and stuff like that, which is insane. Yeah, that, but I, I, I went, and when I saw the queue, I was like, you know what, the child doesn't eat milk that much. You can just <laughs> have cheese, because the queue was so, and it wasn't just long because people were staying apart from each other, it just went around that, it was like a ride at Universal Studios, you know like when you go to Disney World, yeah. and there's like, you for like two hours to go to a ride, it was like that, and um, so yeah, definitely that goes to shops right now, um, they're really, and what's really sad is if they had enforced some kind of, um, some kind of system for shopping earlier, we probably wouldn't be in this mess, but I think the shops wanted to make so much money, yeah. they were in people buy what they want and they were complaining about panic buying but they could have put these, these restrictions way earlier but they wanted to sell as much as they could right and um yeah now situation where everything has to be rationed and whatever so yeah they very much um like kind of having their cake and eating it if you know what i mean they very much were like uh oh no it'd be awful if like you know if all these people kept them coming to their shops and then they yeah, yeah. they're yeah, like oh Buying's terrible. Like they fuck. They it was. The, they could. They they were licking their lips at the thought of panic buying. You know. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, should have been restricting stuff for a long time. But supermarkets are not an easy place to visit at the moment. So don't. Yeah. My advice is don't bother. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel quite bad for saying this, but for like the whole of Corona, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm enjoying the lockdown to a certain degree, and I feel like this is the most survival I get because, like, I like the idea of just eating everything in my freezer and my cupboards, like trying to make ends meet with uh, all the veg, you know, like just making insane meals. Like, I, I considered having chickpeas by themselves yesterday. It's pretty. Uh, <laughs> pretty. Like, I'm like the the vegan, the bare grills at the moment. 
it's making everybody more resourceful, which I really like. So I was talking about this with my partner the other day. We were like, um, nothing's really changed for us because we generally like, we never go out and buy one, th- we don't do one thing. We'll always buy like six cans of sardines because that's just like we fill up our cupboards and mm-hmm. then we don't shop that regularly. So we, we feel very um, vindicated in our lifestyle choices, to be honest. Um, but um, it's just the fresh stuff. But yeah, stuff like yeah. it's really people are thinking about waste. I think it's so important that we, that this should be normal. This should be the new normal. I mean, not all of it. I think we need to kind of go back to, we still need to go out of the house and interact with people. But in terms of being efficient and not wasting food. Yeah, um, and not like, yeah, I just there's nothing wrong with, with, with thinking. Of, and cooking from home as well. You can't get no takeaways anymore. You can't go to restaurants. Mm-hmm. So cooking from scratch. So all these things are, are not bad habits to have. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's really great and insightful point because i think yeah a lot there's been a lot of um changes which i kind of like and obviously yeah obviously it's got a horrible situation and uh also like some people have been a bit like uh arsy with self-isolation but also when i go out walking and do my daily exercise or just going out for once a day like th- there's more of a sense of community and people kind of like saying hello to each other and to being a bit more appreciative and i, I kind of like that do you know what i mean I, it feels a bit more uh, people actually care for each other a little bit more and there's a little bit more love <laughs> not in london yeah i, I gonna say yeah <laughs> yeah if you look if anything, at someone you get stabbed more suspicious of each other so the last i went i did a shot for my mum on monday so i went to tesco's and they put up these lines by the till so you can't actually put your shopping on the belt when someone else's shopping is there um and i didn't realize this happened to the supermarket and, it, and um so unfortunately um i did the, i did the awful thing i put my foot over the gaffer tape that they put onto oh. the floor and yeah i know and a woman who was quite far from me like she was definitely more than two meters from me she went gotta get behind the tape and i went in these times i'm not going to call you out for your attitude but it's like there's no need to speak to me like that um so in london we're all if anything it's given us an excuse to be as rude as we are because we, we're now suspicious of people anytime someone sniffs coughs looks a little bit out of breath they're potentially someone who could who could pass on the virus. So I don't feel like we've become more friendly. I feel like we've become less friendly. Uh, but you know what? Even that makes me like. I know like the content is quite bad. Like, the the idea of just people uh, calling each other out just for standing the wrong way ever so slightly. I just like, the excuse just to shout at someone. I think that's really just a uh, God. That's I'm proud to be British. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, anything for Londoners. This is a godsend. Like you know, well, it's a giant. <laughs> it's basically this is an odd question but like uh, uh it might not lead anywhere but what's one skill that you've or what's one thing you've learned about yourself uh from the the outbreak in the lockdown have you found oh, oh really um that um honestly it's gonna sound really arrogant i've kind of got life right <laughs> yeah that's good no that's not arrogant that's good I've got stuff in my cupboards um i now have to keep myself occupied um that um um, yeah, like there were things that obviously haven't worked out. So, like you know, as a comedian, I'm not I'm not performing at the moment, which has had like a massive impact on my income. Um, but generally speaking, in terms of getting up in the morning, sustaining myself, feeding myself, stuff like that, there, I can kind of work around the the restrictions. So I feel very smug about my ability to to you know make roti um and you know not you know when they were panicked by the toilet paper i was like well, we get 16 rolls in anyway yeah you know, like, <laughs> yeah 
But that's that's quite a nice philosophy to have. Like you got life right, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should cut that out. It sounds terrible. <laughs> no, no. Like I, I think a lot of people worry about arrogance, but I think it's just like. I think it's just a degree of uh, just having confidence in yourself, you know what I mean? And I think uh, it makes you appreciate what's right, you know, like, uh, you've, uh, yeah, I feel way more grateful for the things in my life because of it, do you know what I mean? I think that's a, it's a it, you know, I'm going to say it's a good thing. It's a, it's a, I'm doing something, I'm also highly adaptable, I've always learned this, I'm very good at saying, okay, well, this has happened, so I'm adaptable. So give me an example, when I'm, I don't know if I told, I think I mentioned this, so I went, the only reason why I know there's queues at the supermarket is because I went, like, actually yesterday and it was a massive queue so I'm not staying here and as I walked past the front of the queue two people were arguing with the security and security was saying one person per household and there were two people right and there were these these two women were going well I'm shopping for my elderly neighbour I'm shopping for my parents I'm doing this and I felt like saying deal with it guys do you know what I mean like yeah. it's one household one of you's got to go in then the next person's got to wait you know and so my attitude is very much like okay well this is this is the normal now so let me just get on with it. Whereas some people really struggle with change. I just thought it's a pandemic, you know, yeah. and they're literally building field hospitals around the country to deal with the influx of people who, who would die without that work. And you, you can't be bothered for your shopping trip to last a little bit longer because you can't go in together. Like, get a grip, guys. Absolutely, um, yeah. And um, so how, how you said you're quite adaptable. Uh, how have you uh, adapted to staying in all the time? Has that... Uh, has, how has that affected you? Have you been kind of keeping busy? or? Um... I'm so lucky in many ways because um, the writing side of my work has increased in terms of it. So I've been able to... Yeah, so I've been able to do that. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge with, with, the, with the toddler at home. Yeah. She's quite the toddler. Um, <laughs> and yeah. What do you mean by quite the toddler? Can you elaborate? They're called toddles because they t- toddles because they toddle everywhere. She's just running around the house. She's running now. She's very curious. She likes to pick up. She likes to pick up things like scissors, and you don't know where she got them from. <laughs> where did you find them? And of all the things in the cupboard, you pick up the scissors. Why can't you pick up like the thing that can't that can't like be used to hurt yourself? Um, so oh, yeah, they require attention and writing i mean it depends on your process but writing does require you sitting down and concentrating and so working around that's a bit hard yeah but jet, jet staying in generally i'm a a lot of people don't realize this but i'm massively an introvert yeah um staying in for me is like fine by me like yeah. honestly i've i've adapted to this very well like this is I've, I've said this before but i feel like it's kind of like this is my olympic games and i've been trying i've been like ready for this for years you know what i mean i've uh, been prepared it's really great, and you know, I've had a. Ch- I've not been able to. One thing I've that's really not been part of my life since I had a, a child is reading. I used to read sort of vociferously, mm-hmm. but it's really it's been difficult. So now it's great because I'm at home all the time. Yeah. So you know, I can get a chat to in when she's napping. Um, so I've just had a bit more time, but I, I need to be a bit more productive in my writing. I think uh, to get stuff done. But um, I, yeah, I always feel like. Um, uh, do you always like? Uh, whenever I'm writing as well, I always feel like I should be doing more. If I'm um, doing stuff at home, I always feel like um, I'm not productive enough. Uh, do you ever feel, like, even if you work really hard, do you feel like you uh, never no. give enough? No, I've never. I never think I've done enough, um, and um, all the time I should be. I should be working now. Why am I talking to you? Yeah. I <laughs> so every day, what I do is I wake up. I do this anyway, but it's become more important now. I, I have a list of things that I want to achieve. Yes. Um, work-wise and sometimes those things get carried over to the next day yes. um 
I just like to measure what I'm getting done because ultimately there'll be a time when this is all over and we're not at home with our laptops. We're out and about and we wish we had this time again, especially as, as, as creatives. So I just don't want to regret. I mean, it's great at the moment. The alternative is either um, do my own work or, you know, play with the child and teach her words. So she knows duck now. She wouldn't have known duck if it wasn't for this pandemic because I spent the last four days going duck. <laughs> luckily my alternative is is to like rear a child which is like i would say quite worthy yes (laughs) but um you know i'm still but i'm still tweeting all day um you know i'm still doing things that maybe aren't the most good uses of my that you know it's not the most good use of my time to do other some things that i'm doing but i'm trying yeah uh, but i think it's uh, it's, a i think like stuff like that trying to be I think having a list is really good because it, it's um, you're setting realistic targets, then, aren't you? Like you, uh, I think with creative targets, they're quite uh, um, superfluous. So that you, um, there's no end goal, and if you do reach those goals, that you move the goalpost even further. I mean, like you never feel like you've ever done. And I suppose as a creative, you are never done. But equally, um, like I think uh, having those daily targets allows you to at least feel like there's some accomplishment in your life as well and I think even tweeting or being on a uh, podcast that's still uh, it still works you know what I mean I think uh, do you know bullet about have you heard, do you know about bullet journals uh, no I don't okay it's basically like a productivity technique which that sounds awful but it's basically about once you've got a list of things bullet journals allow you to decide um, whether they're still important, whether you carry them forward, they're really good. I'm not going to explain how it works because it's a bit long. But if you're interested in it's a really good productivity technique that it just doesn't involve any apps, it just involves having a notepad. Bullet journals. Bullet journals have made me just they, they've they've transformed how I get things done and how I plan my not just day but like my month and even my year. Oh, they're great right. that's great yeah well i i think it's uh i think i'm quite a productive person but also um i'm also trying to put my feet up a little bit uh, in the corona as well but uh um uh, obviously you talked about um like try and be productive whilst uh, having a child as well so uh um in terms of like as a comedian how uh how significantly has your life changed since having a kid in terms of your workload as well um so what i do now when you have something else that takes up your time is I spend, I became much more selective about the work that I accepted. Yeah. So it actually was a real benefit to me because I think it's really easy as a comic to run around like the country doing shows, making or not a net financial gain. um, And you might do it for the stage time, whatever, but it made me, a bit more selective about where I put my energies so it just made me a bit more efficient I mean the downside is that when you gig less there are always disadvantages to not being out and about and you know being on the circuit and stuff to the point where some people thought I wasn't even gigging anymore but on the upside it allowed me to do more writing mm-hmm. uh, you like you know it, it just made me think about just maybe reassess how I was spending my time and you always want to live your life in a state of forward motion and it's very easy as you'll notice as a comic to maybe spend an evening doing something and maybe not have achieved anything so that evening could have been spent like making a risotto or something yeah you know so so it just made me think about when people say would you like to do x y or z I would then think about okay normally I just say yes to everything but Mm -hmm. you do that I think with a if you're and a parent of a child and for the you know up until very recently I was I was caring for her sort of as as a primary carer so it mm-hmm. was just me um 
So yeah, you, you you use your time better, and you get a bit yeah, you get a bit of an ego, and you think, well, I'm not doing that now. Yes, okay, yeah, and I I, I know exactly the same feeling because like uh, um not not as a parent, but like uh, I think it's there's a certain power in it being able to say no to gigs as well. Like, and, and I really struggle with saying no, but I think that um yeah, it allows you to select the gigs, and it means that you also you get to choose the gigs that you want to do and not like you have to you know what i mean like i think that uh there's some gigs that um like i've uh yeah you don't have to do any like terrible open mics to like free people anymore you can just do the gigs that you met that you want you know yeah and i'm always polite with it i never say uh no don't contact me you're yes. out of <laughs> so i'm not like um you know i'm not rude yeah um but i definitely feel a little less um uh, you know, I don't feel the the, the, the need to, to fill up my diary and look at my calendar and say, "Oh, look, look at all the look at all the how busy I am," um, which is um, which is nice actually. It, and it it ultimately does benefit you as a comedian. You want to get to a stage where you, you're you're not doing everything. If you're doing everything, then you, that's probably not great energy wise. Yeah, absolutely. This might be a bit of an odd question to ask, but like I know some comedians, they have um, they always talk about uh, oh, if I have kids, I'm uh, I might not do so, like I might not do material about them. Um, did you ever have that thought in your head, or were you like uh, are you quite open to doing material about your children? Or I did a lot of material about my pregnancy because I performed a lot when I was, when I was pregnant. Yes. So because uh, we we did the fringe together in 2018, and you were um, uh, pregnant then as well, which I thought was the most incredible thing in the world as well. Uh, uh, I just yeah, just to do a whole fringe run whilst pregnant that is that is that is boss level. That's great. It's, I'm glad you think that, but I'll tell you what, it's probably easier whilst pregnant, if I'm honest. You reckon? You get you don't have to fly up, you don't have to go out, you don't you know you get. I got can't remember. I watched so much Netflix because I was like. I don't, you know, you look after yourself a bit more, um, and yeah, pregnancy is a really good thing to talk about on stage anyway, because pregnancy is mad, um, yeah. I don't talk about, it's weird, I think it's, I think it's, I do talk about being a parent on stage, I don't necessarily talk about specific things that my daughter does, although mm-hmm. I talk a lot about, so there's one thing I think is hilarious, that I'm her favourite, <laughs> and I I love the idea that children will just like pick a, f- a favorite parent, and that's just it, and they just don't care what that. Which is quite cruel, isn't it? Yeah. Like I, I don't like you. I like the other one. So the point, <laughs> to the point if like, and the funny thing is, is my daughter likes my partner generally, but if I'm in the room, she's like, no, 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 she's here now, so I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to like cut up. With you, which I think is really funny. I love, but I love the way that parents can't have a favorite child because you know you're not allowed to do that. It doesn't really work the other way around. Yeah. So I. Talk, about stuff like that but generally i don't talk too much so it's more about being a parent more yes, than oh a... my child was sick on herself today or whatever because mm-hmm. you know most children um will do stuff like that but i think it's i think talking about your personal life as a comedian on stage is just if you do that a lot becoming a parent is so kind of life-changing yes it's yeah. very difficult to not have that into your material in some way yeah and i think yeah as you say it's very much especially if you do like anecdotal or like uh your personal reflections it it is and you can't deny that part of your life as well and i think it does do that um but uh, i I know other people say that it being a parent changes your outlook and uh, has it done that for you or has it changed any of your tastes in comedy um 
no, I'm sorry. People do say being a parent changes you. It literally couldn't be this more similar to the old Athena. I wish right. I was different. Um, good, that's good to hear. I think, I think what it changes is you, you do. If you don't experience anxiety, you're gonna you're gonna experience you, the worry. You worry about your kids. Um, yeah. And I, I would always, you know, I, was, I had a, I would say if you can say I had a normal level of anxiety, so I'd always think if I left the iron on, is the gas on, did I lock the door, all that kind of stuff. But then it, you you worry about them. I think um, so you, that introduces a step. That level of caring, you think you care about people and other people. I don't think you really understand. I don't want to be arrogant and be like, "You've got to be a parent to understand," because I think you can appreciate it. Yeah. But the level of worry and love and caring that you have for your child, and it's almost like seeing a new color. You know, like yeah. you can't imagine what a new color will look like. And I, so I, th- I think it's get, you know, I don't want to be one of those awful parents, but like, oh, you couldn't possibly understand. You're not a mum. You're not a dad. I don't want to say that because. I think you can understand, but even then when you're in it, it's a whole new level of love and anxiety that you have for them. Um, so, you know, you know when your heart skips a beat? Yes. When yeah. you've got 20 times a day. Do you know what I mean? 20 times a day, they go, they make a lot of noise and then they go quiet. Why are they quiet? You know? Um, or they, they drink something and they start coughing. Oh my God, they're choking on the water. Like it's, so that that's what changes, um, yeah. which I think I think if it's evolution, if we didn't feel that way about our kids, we wouldn't nurture and protect them. So a lot of that is like a, a biological change, I think, rather than a, a big personality change. Uh, oh. But definitely, definitely a warrior. Now I wasn't really a warrior before. I'm a warrior now. Yeah, well, that's 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 fascinating as well. Uh, although uh, halfway through you saying that when you're talking about worrying about your kid, uh, then I think that was kind of like a vicariously worrying for you. It's like I haven't heard her for a while. It's like oh god, haven't she's okay. I- Right now, she's playing with her xylophone, but luckily she's not playing it. So she starts, she's just kind of like fiddling around with it. Um, <laughs> she can do some background music for us. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be like that lift. You know that kind of event when you hear the xylophone play, then you get an announcement like do 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 do. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to talk about you've done a lot of tour support for some amazing people, right? Uh, a little bit, yes, I have. Yeah, uh, and so how do you find doing uh, tour support? Because it's a very unique role uh, as a uh, comedian because like it's um it's it's a very interesting slot isn't it it is because people haven't come for you yeah um which is um you know <laughs> that's yes to just deal with that yeah and you'll be playing venues that you probably uh, the tour support i've done was the kind of the first tour support i'd ever done so the first time i've played theaters or things like that would have been for tour support yeah. um and as a comic i think you you don't know how to play every room automatically you have to have practice yeah. in those rooms so i think the sad thing is is you when you're on tour support you might the first couple of times you do it you might have to go through a big learning process yeah because playing theaters big stages and so i found it I think at the beginning, it was like, oh, I need to switch things up a little bit to, to do this job properly. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a bit of a learning curve, really. But it's more the venues than the people. If I'm, if I'm in a dark club with low ceilings yeah. and in darkness, I'm good. I can I can work that room. Yeah. But if I'm in some South End theatre with like three tiers of yeah. people and executive boxes and velvet ropes yeah. and massive stages um then i'm like oh okay uh, 
I need to switch it up a bit, you know, and, you know, the mm-hmm. actors doing a tour will have had rehearsals and they would have, you know, they would have generally been quite well trained. Mm-hmm. So when you just got your 20 minutes that you normally do at Top Secret in London, yeah. like, doesn't, it, you have to learn to adapt a little bit. But tour support's a great opportunity for a comic to learn the mm-hmm. ropes of being a tour act or, you know, being a stand-up in those, in those things. So, uh, in terms of the audience, you just have to remember that the audience probably don't normally go out to watch stand-up. Especially yeah. when you yeah, like, when I did help, when I was on Denise Sejaponda's tour, obviously he did really well and Britain's Got Talent, yeah. so there was a big crowd of people who loved him, but they'd probably never gone to a stand-up gig ever, so yeah. you've got to, yeah, you've got to think about what you talk about, because um, they like TV stand-ups, so they're not necessarily going to be responsive to certain subjects because they're not used to laughing at certain subjects, if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, I remember I did uh, tech for Laura Lex in 2018, and um, before her was Lee Ridley's show, Lost Voice Guy, and uh, uh, and he was in the turret, and that because uh, he did because uh, he won Britain's Got Talent, he uh, he sold out the run every single day. Like nine times out of ten, it would be a brilliant room. But his tour show is a lot different from his um, Britain's Got Talent act, because uh, and especially I think that show was quite political as well. They talked about a lot of uh, uh, like Tory cuts and stuff like that, and uh, so people kind of left being like, "Well, that was." That was weird. We, he usually just talks about his disability, and I found that really weird that people coming out and having that experience as well. Obviously, everyone enjoyed it, but it was just weird to see how, uh, um, yeah, a lot of those people haven't really, yeah, don't really go and see stand up that often as well. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing. I think when you're working with TV acts or people who have gotten kind of famous off the TV, yeah. um, but it's, it's fine. It's it's a learning experience. Um, so basically, what I'm trying to say is. Sometimes I support people and died on my ass. <laughs> Sometimes I support people and it was great. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm always grateful for, for like, um, you know, that opportunity to, to find my feet. And, you know, to, the, the acts, I would say to any comedians listening who who are interested in doing tour support, like, just um, just be as big and as bold and as confident with your comedy as possible. And banter, oh my gosh, please, no one knows who you are. So don't, please talk to the audience that's the one thing you can learn no one knows who you are they don't want to see you so please talk to your audience let let everything settle imagine going on the stage and like you know like when you've got you've got your quilt and you make your bed you don't just push the the quilt on the bed you kind of like you could do that thing where you flap it yeah that's a really weird analogy for it but it's the only it's the one that came to my head right now so just just like make the bed let shake that duvet out let it fall down so it's nice and neat and then get into bed or do the show so to speak that's, you know i think that's a good analogy as well because like because uh, yeah. <laughs> as a tourist but you like i think you do have to like slightly compare it uh, not too much but like uh, just enough to kind of like settle the room as you say settle the room properly as well because uh, like uh, especially when you've just been introduced and they think they're going to see the headline act but you're not that person and there's there's it's slight frustration on their part as well so you have to you have to disarm then and uh, make them and entertain at the same time i suppose um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- ab- absolutely um and it, that's part of your humility like you're not there they're not there for you so you need to work for their love yeah work for love sometimes you go onto stage and you think well they're here so you know i've you know i'm part i'm part of the lineup you know you go onto stage you're saying about confidence i would say what i learned from doing tour support is they're not there for you work for their love 
like harder than you've ever worked for anything in your life for that 20 25 minutes and yeah so now i'm great so please hire me for support and i've done I've, 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 basically i messed up all of the Niso shows so you i'm really good for your show so <laughs> yeah you know i had to, I had to I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit but it's it's a massive learning experience but also fantastic um and i'm very like i said i'm really grateful to the acts who let me who let me um mess about on their on their on their shows oh brilliant um yeah, well, uh, it's yeah. I think it's uh, it's good that um, there's a lot of those opportunities out there as well, and uh, it's good to play those big theatres. Um, but I also um, I had some other uh, generic podcast questions. Is it okay if I fire some across? Yeah, of course. Okay, so um, uh, can you describe your act in three words? In three words, my act. Yes. Uh, my act is personal, political, and challenging oh see that's good uh, I, I i like that a lot and uh and i'll say very accurate as well but like uh, yeah um so um have you always been a political comedian no but i'm a political person yeah so i think you become your comedy will be a, if you talk about your own stuff on stage um you will end up putting your personality out there so because I see, I see things through a political lens. Um, it, it's natural that, um, that 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 comes out of my comedy. But I'm also like very stupid. Just enough for people to understand about me. I'm very thick. Um, like on a day to day basis, I, I'm very forgetful. I, um, I always need people to repeat themselves. It takes me a long time to process information. So that's why I, I say my comedy is a bit silly too. Um, like it's it's so it's a kind of combination of like i'm a weird i'm in a weird kind of i'm a high status comedian but i do quite low status stuff so i talk about that a lot on on stage oh, that's um, fascinating yeah yeah but i would say it's not like i started out trying to be a political comedian i started out trying to be really honest about myself so that's just it it, it couldn't it couldn't be hidden that it's a big part of, of how I see the world. Yeah, I, I guess one leads to the other as well. And uh, yeah, let, so through being honest about who you are, um, it, it led to a political comedy. That's, oh, that's, oh, that's blown my mind. That's really awesome. Um, uh, but how was your first ever gig? Uh, where, when did it happen? Uh, how did it go down? It was, so like a lot of people, I did a... Um, a comedy course mm-hmm. and I, the worst thing about comedy courses is that you you do like a gig at the end of it and that went really well yes so the reason why that was um bad is because then the second gig you bomb and it's like a really big reality check yes absolutely so because the, yeah. the first gig, because obviously at, at that, that common course, it's usually friends and family, and they're so supportive, and uh, they're very much on your side, and uh, you kind of get a lot of the benefit of the doubt as well. And it doesn't detract from your, um, your your talent, but it does it does give you that fighting chance. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it, it, yeah. My first gig was great. My second gig, so my second gig was which was officially my first gig was was terrible. Oh uh, yeah, but it didn't put me off. It didn't put me off at all. Did you uh, do you listen back to like uh, old tapes and see? Because uh, I listened back to one of my old gigs recently, and it was like akin to torture. It was really like uh, it was like it makes my skin crawl. Like the things I said back then, if you know what I mean. Do you ever look back at old material? Yeah, not um. What, not on purpose, but sometimes I've been 
I've, you know, I've remembered something I used to say on stage or, you know, I've, I've, there were some really awful YouTube videos of me when I first started, which I've actually been trying, I was try, I tried to get them off, but I, it's not been possible. Yeah. And just like, you know, mm-hmm. they're just awful. So yeah, if, the thing is, if everybody who does comedy, when they start, they're, they're going to be cringeworthy. It's just not, sometimes you hear stories about quite famous comedians going, yeah, 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 I did my first gig and I was amazing and that was the end of it. And it's like, you're liars. Yeah, right. Like, it takes a long time to become good at comedy. And when you start, you you will get it wrong. It's just not possible to get it right all the time. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and uh, it's, I, I, yeah, I I hear quite a lot of stories. And, like, when I was um, a couple of years ago, I used to be a massive comedy nerd, and uh, I would listen to a lot of like comedians' first gigs, and like a lot of them would be like, "Yeah, I, uh, I absolutely smashed it, and I've done great ever since." And like, but I always, I always find it very uh, relatable when I hear people die in their first go as well, because uh, it, yeah, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Um, okay, they're all liars. When, you know, I, I won't name them, but I know famous famous comedians. You have that narrative. Yeah, man, I just went on stage, and you know, it was really great. And it's like. The first time you went on, it might have been great, but then for the next three or four years, you was on the circuit, dying on your ass around the country. Let's <laughs> be real. Yeah. Comedy's hard. I hate when comedy's so hard, even if you're good at it. And I like to think I am good at it. It's so hard, you know? Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't like the idea that, it, that it's, it is easy for people. It's not easy at all. You can only be good at it if you work hard. That's a great, uh, great point to make. Um, here's another question. Uh, what is the strangest heckle you've ever had? Oh, that's an, that's um, that's weird. Okay, I I get asked about heckles a lot, and I always give really supporting answers. I don't get heckled a lot. Somebody, um, I remember going on stage years ago, and someone yelled taxi, and I thought, oh, they wanted me to get in a taxi, but it wasn't. It was there. There was something weird going on. Um, <laughs> so it was. It was like oh, that was odd. Um. <laughs> Do you find out it, what happened? Like no, I can't even remember. But I remember, I just, I just remember that being weird. Um, and I, oh, I do remember being heckled, and then somebody said "shut up," and I had to go to that person because I thought they was talking to me, but they were talking to the heckler. Uh. So that was quite funny. So that was like, oh, I was like, thank you for helping. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't know. Okay, so yeah, that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Have, right, here's a bit of a. This question will either resonate or it won't, but what is the most mundane thing that you've thought about on stage? The mundane... Oh, normally I think about what I'm going to eat when I get home. Yes, Service stations, like which... Some, you know, there are certain service stations you know and you think... Like, I like it when a service station has a waitrose because it means you can pick up something quite healthy. Yes. On the way, you can get like a pot a little coconut pot and cheap too like the suit if you want to eat cheap in a service station pick up little things from like um the the suit the supermarket concessions because otherwise you know you go to have a burger king the burger king meal costs you 11 pounds yeah absolutely so it's really expensive but what i do is I'll, if i can get like pita bread and hummus like it's not just a health thing that can cost two pounds for m&s so yeah i think about whether or not that's a it'll be a nice service station on the way home yes. um i'm gonna eat and when i was working i used to think a lot about work um yeah, mostly work and food. <laughs> work and food. Uh, and and what's your favourite service station as well? Like, we just you just touched upon it, but like, uh, uh, which which ones like your favourites? 
There's one on the M4 that's really scenic. Ooh. Well, it's not that scenic, but it's quite nice on a sunny day. Um, I forget which one it's called. Um, but that's a, yeah, there's a nice one on the way to Bristol. Yes. Um, yeah. And I went. Oh, I, never, I will never remember what it's called. But when I, I drove to Edinburgh when I was pregnant, yeah. And we stopped for this one service station. It was it was like a market. It had like like um, all this kind of like um, these markets traders selling pots of honey and jam. Oh my god. Um, baskets everywhere oh i wonder what it was called i can't remember it was quite far up north and i just remember thinking this is like phenomenal <laughs> so if i drive up to edinburgh again and i hope i don't have to do it this year because i'm praying they cancel the fringe yes but if i do that again then yeah i'll look out for that one that was a nice one but i forget where, where it was or what or what was going on there? Um, there's one on the way to Glasgow, so not you have to go up the M6, and then I think it, it turns into the M7 or M8 or something like that. But uh, this it's called Glenadale Waters, and it's my it's my second favourite one because it's a uh, uh, if you go at night or you come back after the gig, um, you um, there's like there's a lot of geese there, and it's so funny because like there's just a flock of geese in the middle of the car park, and they don't give a fuck. They yeah, uh, and like I saw one time uh, a group of lads have got like the Burger Kings and stuff like that, and the geese kind of like mugged them, and uh, it was so funny. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's uh, that sounds amazing. I need to find that. Place. I used to get a gig near near that surface station. But yeah, uh, you, you also mentioned the Fringe as well. And uh, are you working on the show for next year? Yeah, I was working with one this year. Yes, but sure. we were in the middle of the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so, so annoying because like I really want them to cancel it as well, uh, but they're very much uh, they're continuing to go ahead. They're sending my my Edinburgh Fringe brochure proof yesterday, and I was like, just cancel it, mate. Why why are you, why are we doing this? Like, I I know I know why because Edinburgh Council. I mean, I'm, I I I wouldn't quote myself on this, but I know Edinburgh Council obviously has. You know, they're always they've built a very expensive tram. There's always all councils have cash flow issues, which is fine. Uh, the fringe is a lot of a lot of Edinburgh's economy hinges around the fringe because um, people the city is flooded with people who eat and drink and shop and pay for accommodation um, and also for employment. Like a lot of people are gainfully employed um, in the weeks and months leading up to the fringe and during the fringe. And for that not to happen is, is quite catastrophic. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like Melbourne didn't happen. They're thinking about the Olympics aren't happening. They're thinking of cancelling Wimbledon. Yeah. Literally every event up until this summer has been cancelled so it's not good enough for any organization to say well it's going to cost us money like this is costing us all money yeah absolutely um, and it's, it's not fair on the performers quite frankly for for them to even contemplate and also we by that point we will be mourning some of us will have lost people some of us will be recovering from corona um we, we have a lot of income we stopped working how are we supposed to fund the fringe we can't work right now we can't preview yeah, um, that's that's another thing that's really like like we we were meant to go up with like half baked shows, if you know what I mean, and it's going to cost us so much money to do that as well. And uh, yeah, it just it doesn't really seem to be any point. And hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, there's a resolution or something. But yeah, at the moment, um, it's it's very much it's really bleak. It's a bleak outlook, and it's uh, yeah, as you say, it's not good enough. And also, everyone, I mean, I've never, luckily I've never had this, but the, the fringe flu is a thing. People get sick at the fringe because you've got venues. Yes. Fringe, yeah. You've got venues, microphones being shared by 15 acts every day. Uh, you've, it's very crowded. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, if, if nobody's experienced the fringe, it can be hard to understand. But imagine not any whole carnival in a city. And if you've never experienced it from carnival, just Google it. It's just, the city's rammed for yeah. a month. 
and people are living on top of each other um and and you know we're all airbnb and rented accommodation so there's issues with that too um so it's it's just yeah it's just like not only about it's not just about the the jobs and and stuff like that it's like the actual logistical operation of the fringe feels like a happy hunting ground for this virus like Absolutely. this virus is crossing its fingers that the fringe goes ahead <laughs> you know sitting there going please do the fringe it's exactly the kind of environment we need it needs to, to to sort of live so let's say things do get better and i hope they do why would you do something that could easily start the virus back up again? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just people's love of money uh, at the moment. Like, cause like I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's um, there's no forethought for the performers or the audiences going there. Yeah, it just seems a bit. But yeah, I, I always, uh, you know, I love chatting to you, Athena, because like uh, you know, I feel like we're gonna set the world to rights when we chat. Uh, you make me feel good. <laughs> Well, I hope so. Can I just say one more thing? Yes. Before the, before this virus thing was really starting to become a big deal, my issue with the fringe was accommodation. Yeah. I was looking for you. Generally, when you go to Edinburgh to perform, you generally start to look for a place January, February time, maybe March. Okay? Yeah. I couldn't find a two bed place, even one that was far from the city centre for less than four grand for the month. Really? And I was just like, yeah. I couldn't find one for less than four grand. Oh my um, God. And I also, and I just thought, and I tried to start this accommodation strike, which no one cared about, which was fine by me, I guess. But I was like, we've got to stop paying these prices. We just have to stop. You know, like yeah. if you're if you're going to charge me four grand to stay in your proxy little flat, I'm not paying it. Yeah. You know. Um. So in many ways, if they cancel the fringe, maybe they'll start to think about how much they need the performers and. Mm-hmm. So rather than treating us like idiots who go out to Edinburgh, um, you know, chasing pots of gold in, at the end of rainbows, we're actually creatives who want to create great art and entertain people who visit your city and give people a reason to visit your city. But if you're going to charge us this kind of money and you're not going to protect us in any way, then maybe a year off the fringe will, and the international festival as well, maybe that will remind you that, you know, we you need us as much as we need you. It's symbiotic. Yes. Because at the moment, it just feels incredibly exploitative. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's such an amazing point. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, as we mentioned earlier, there's positives within this virus. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of negative there. But I think that uh, um, if, hopefully, Edinburgh is overdue for a long uh, change. And this needs to be overhauls there. And there's so many things wrong with it. And maybe... Uh, maybe having that year off will, as you say, like uh, trigger some changes, some well-needed changes as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, because I, I tell you right now, I was not. I was prepared to stay in Glasgow. I yeah. was. I, I, I just. I wasn't gonna. I just wasn't gonna. I don't mind paying an inflated price because I understand that when when they when things are scarce, they they. Um, they cost more, and yes. accommodation is scarce. So it costs more, but four grand a month. You wouldn't even pay that money to stay in London. Yes, and absolutely. Very expensive London. So I, yeah, that that made me. So that's the other good thing about cats in the fringe. Maybe it would remind people how important performers are, and that we get some protections um, out of this. Yes, and yeah, and it's not too much for ask for really in the in the great scheme of things as well. But uh, but yeah. Um, well, I'll do a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up. But thank you so much for everything so far. But I have a, a corona, a coronavirus special question. Um, um, if you um, if you had to share a lockdown with three other comedians, which comedians <laughs> would you pick? Oh wow, um, uh, that's a good one. Um, God, I don't know. Um, 
and you have I have to be careful because there's people that will be like, why haven't you picked me? So I'll say, <laughs> um, uh, uh, okay, so I don't know if you know Dana Alexander. She's a great cook. So yes. you want to be with someone who's a good cook. Absolutely. So that's, that's one. Um, you want to be with a comedian who is a doctor, so Paul Sinner. Yes. Because then, you know, he's got qualifications. Should something go wrong, he'll be really unhappy about being treated as a doctor. But um, Paul, can come in, Paul can come on board. And you need someone with another skill. Um so, um, uh, let's see. Oh, what skills do you need? Are any comedians cleaners in their spare time? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> any comedian that I'll go on, go on LinkedIn and see if there's a comedian <laughs> that was up as a cleaner. That's my third one. So I want, I want a cook, um, I want a doctor, and I want a cleaner. Oh, you, um, you, you've, you've strategized this very well. And that's also, you kind of mitigated um, if anyone says, oh, you haven't picked me, you've kind of picked them solely on skills. So that's, I think that's a strong, strong suit. It's, yeah, it's about my quality of life. It's yeah. about my quality of life. <laughs> <laughs> that's strong. Uh, uh, yeah, that's great. Great. Uh, I, I love how every question I've asked, you've done it with like a lot of like thought and consideration because some people just kind of bumble about, but you, you, you're smashing it so far. It's great. Um, right. What is your least favourite milkshake flavour? I don't like milk. They're all disgusting. <laughs> I hate milk. I don't drink the stuff. Um, it's vile. Um, anything milky, I won't have. I don't like cream. Um, I don't, yeah, all of them are vile. Don't drink milkshake. Don't drink milk. It's really hot. I don't, I just think milk is like my worst. If you want to torture me, put a funnel in my mouth and pour milk down it. That's torture. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, listeners, take note. That's a, that's a fair enough answer, but I'll, I don't usually ask this question because um, I think it might be one of the worst questions I've ever written. But what is the least appealing fruit? The least appealing fruit, apples. They're boring. <laughs> I, but I love all other fruit. Apples are. I find it quite odd. They're not delicious. They're quite. You know, if I will eat an apple. But um, they're very boring as fruit, yes. as fast fruit. Though. They're the dullest of. I really, it always used to bother me that like <laughs> Eve was seduced by an apple. It doesn't make any sense. I'd have been like, no, you're right, mate. Don't worry. Like <laughs> mango or passion fruit. Passion fruit's got a lovely like text, you know. Yes. Higher, even bananas. Cause bananas are like quite satisfying, but like apple, like doesn't seem worth it, love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Finally, uh, this is you know this is the hot takes that we need now. Like uh, people are taking apples are uh, good for too long, um, um, but uh, also like yeah, I feel quite um, ignorant for doing this. But like uh, I uh, when when we lived together in Edinburgh, uh, you showed me what plantain is as well, uh, which I had no idea about, and it's amazing. Right, a lot of people don't, um, and it's partly a good thing because it's kept the price down. Um, <laughs> um, but it's also. For some reason, people aren't very curious about African and Caribbean food, which has always intrigued me because we're curious about Thai food and Greek food and Turkish food um, and Italian food and, you know, Chinese food. Yeah. But generally speaking, we're not that curious about African and, and Caribbean food. And, and I always find that extraordinary because when I'm, when I'm having my lunch at work, people get bloody curious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, I just, but it's it's everywhere. Like, there's no, there are no people more integrated in in, in British society than, than than African and uh, and Caribbean people. Um, I don't think because um, for, for lots of reasons. And I just find it, but I find it really interesting that one thing that hasn't really permeated into the popular culture of this country is, is our food. Um, and I always think one day, I, it's people are doing stuff about it, but I'd like to do to do more because I just sort of think it's just a celebratory thing for African and Caribbean culture to share. Um, you know what we do so well 
Um, but at the moment, it's like a best kept secret plantain, uh-huh. uh, which is. Uh, but yeah, like anybody, I'm not even going to say what it is. If anyone wants to just go out and find it and <laughs> come back with it, they're welcome to. This is like a. This podcast is slowly turned into a speakeasy as well. Like, uh, just, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast as well. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, uh, but uh, where can people find you online? Um, just on Twitter, mostly. I live there now. Um, <laughs> Instagram and Facebook, and it's just my name. So if you if you just type my name into stuff, things pop out. So my my child's got the bricks now. Can you hear that? Yes, I can actually. Yeah, I, I didn't know what that was, but uh, now I can hear it. <laughs> if there'd been a camera watching me record this photo, I've literally been walking around the house doing everything in my power to keep her as quiet as possible. And she's gotten she's in a mood with me now because she wants to play, but. Uh, well, I've not been I, f- I feel really bad now, but thank you. I, uh, the uh, the podcast listeners appreciate that as well. Uh, but well, thank you very much. Um, um, but yeah, uh, final question: Has comedy improved your life, or has it made it worse? Improved. Can you elaborate? Um, I think everybody in life needs a sense of purpose, and it's really easy to have a job and to go up every day and to do it and go home and get paid. But that's not your purpose. It can be. Um, but it's not um, so it's given me I wouldn't actually even say comedy is my purpose but it's opened my mind it's put me on a path towards finding what my purpose is one day I wouldn't be on this path without comedy Um, so in a few years time I might not be a comedian I'll be doing something else but that's something else I guarantee you I would have gotten there through comedy Um, so that that feeling like I'm on a path to a more purposeful, a more purposeful life um, is, is is what it's given me. I, you know, I'm literally financially financially worse off. Um, you know, lots of things. Are, you know, I had better when I was working full time in my in my day job, but then there were other things that I have better now, and those things I think um, have more opportunity for me. Whereas wow. the, my other path was leading up to a brick wall. That's so, yeah. Definitely. I think that's a really. Um amazing note to finish on that's really beautiful thank you so much Athena thanks for having me it's been great